Before we get started today, guys, I want to tell you about WGT Golf. One of the most fun games you can download onto your phone. It's not only, it's the most popular golf game in the world, it's also the official gaming partner of DNVR. And it's become so popular, we've opened up a third DNVR clubhouse that's filling up. Each clubhouse holds 250. We're almost on a DNVR 12, uh, 4. So if you don't want to feel left out anymore, download WGT and join the DNVR 3 clubhouse by going to dnvrgolf.com. It's a realistic free golf game loved by more than 20 million players worldwide. You can play against people in the DNVR clubhouse. You can play against friends. You can play against yourself. You can do top golf challenges closest to the hole play tournaments and win prizes really really fun game and best of all you can just pop it up play if you got 10 minutes to sit there and play for for 10 minutes hop out um really really fun kind of game you can get in and get out while you're like just uh, throughout your day whenever you have some dead time so go to w uh, dnvrgolf.com and download the app now and let us know what you think about it What is up, everybody, and welcome in to the DNVR Nuggets podcast, a notebook notebook edition, solo edition here. I'm your host, Adam Mata. It's going to be taking you on just one-on-one through my detailed notes of game four and a very interesting game. I think encouraging in a lot of parts, but it, other than the score, um, discouraging certainly in some parts, but I think you're going to find a lot more... You know, the fault the sky is isn't falling as much when you just talk about the overall structure. I think one thing that came out in yesterday's show and I think came out a lot from fans and certainly from national analysts who maybe aren't as close to the team. A lot of, you know, oh, no, this team is so deeply flawed in these ways that they can't overcome or this or that. Um, You know, obviously a lot of doom and gloom about the series being over, which let's be honest, it's three one. It's not looking great. But when you just look at how the teams are matched up and you go into the, the the tape and you look at, okay, some of the weaknesses, some of the things that happened. I, I just think it's a lot less dire. It always is. Um, you know, talking to Coach uh, Carl, George Carl, and the Keeping It 1000 podcast, which I hope you're subscribed to as well. been doing those. Um, you know, I've had three of them. I'm going to have one more. Um, just hearing from him talk about how it's never as bad as it seems, never as good as it seems, never as bad as it seems. And I think that's always true when you go into the tape. You just see things that you're like, okay, this is either, you know, bad luck or Denver did a good job here, didn't bounce their way or whatever, or this is things you can build off of. And it certainly was true in this episode, or or, I'm sorry, in this, in, in this game, even though they lost and that let's be honest, the wins and the losses are the most important thing, silver linings, this or that. It's nice to talk about now one day removed, the emotion removed a little bit, but um, at least I can say just from like a top of 100,000 foot view, I feel a little bit better just about Denver in general, about the Nuggets in general and their like potential as a team than I did maybe 24 hours ago. So I want to get into that. Before we do, though, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. You can use promo code DNVR when you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. It's free. You can play. You can have a lot of fun. Gives you odds boosts. Lots of cool stuff there. Um, all right. So let's get into these notes here. My first note. Obviously, the starting lineup. I think this was an adjustment that came at least one game too late, if not two. You look at the series. Game one, I think Denver was a little bit lucky to win. I mean, Jamal Murray just went absolutely nuclear in game one. But watching that game, it was clear that there was a lot of clunkiness to what Denver was doing. And, you know, in the playoffs, there's only seven games. There's only four losses you can take. And I think when you win a game like that where maybe you were supposed to lose, it's especially important for a team and for a coaching staff to look at that and say, okay, why did we win? Is there things we can change up that's not going to hurt our momentum? That being said... I don't think you can blame a coaching staff when you go up 1-0. I don't know that you can blame a coaching staff and say, okay, well, you should have made a change there. But after game two, when the same exact weaknesses from the, especially the starting lineup, 
you know, especially sort of the clunkiness and, and, and things that just weren't firing, and then certainly the defense. I think after that one, you look at it and go, okay, we are lucky to win game one. Game two, we get blown out or, you know, beat pretty handily. Going into game three, I think you have to have adjustments made, and the fact that they didn't might be the single biggest reason that Denver ends up dropping this series. It was clear going into game three that unlike what Michael Malone said about what we really need is more energy and effort, it was clear that, no, there was also some things that were causing Denver to kind of fall apart, and and so a bunch of other things happened in game three, but to me it was not very surprising given that Denver stuck with the same plan that, by the way, didn't work in the bubble either in the seeding round. So it wasn't just that they had this two-game sample size. They actually had a much bigger sample size to draw from, and unfortunately to me that's that probably is going to end up costing Denver the series. But you make the adjustment going into game four, and you bring in Jamal Murray, you bring in Jeremy Grant over Michael Porter Jr. I know a lot of fans are upset by this let me just say the mistake for me with Michael Malone and how he has handled this season has more to do with not trusting Michael Porter in games that didn't matter against Atlanta and Brooklyn and you know earlier in the year if Denver right now was a six seed going up against the three seeded team I just don't know that you would feel as dire about certain things especially if you were able to bring Michael Porter Jr. along defensively the fact that he wasn't trusted and didn't get those reps throughout much of the season and now you throw him into the starting lineup and say hey we expect you to do this and by the way the team doesn't quite fully trust you and you know you're not you're not fully integrated into the offense in a way that maximizes what you bring on that end of the court. The fact that that's not the case, to me, that that's where you can really get critical uh, of this or that. I think Michael Porter Jr. is a fantastic player. I mean, look, I've gotten some people online. I know people are upset. Nuggets fans always happens, and I totally get it. You can throw your anger at me. Uh, a lot of people in Serbia really upset with how I'm I'm, I'm critical of, of Nikola Jokic so far in the series. Totally get it. Keep sending it. That doesn't bother me. I have to give you my honest analysis about both of those players who, by the way, I think are fantastic players that Denver is going to hopefully continue to build off of for years and years to come, and I think they are championship-caliber players. But what they, some of the things, the weaknesses that have arose in this series, to me, I'm not going to overlook, and we can explain the different reasons for them. Michael Porter Jr., not ready to defend at this level uh, in the playoffs. Now, I don't think he's the only one. I mean, look, everybody on Denver's roster is getting absolutely torched right now, and Jokic, I think, central to a lot of what's going on, but... When you talk about in the moment, where do you go now? Where do you go after game one, after game two, after game three? To me saying, okay, this team has familiarity with Monte Morris. They have familiarity with Jeremy Grant on both ends of the court. That familiarity, trust, and all of those things is so important that at this moment of time, throw out how we got here or where we are going in the future, just where you are now and say, okay, that's a five-man unit that has experience with each other and they know each other on the court in a way that there's no questioning whose role is what and where who go, where goes where. So this isn't a knock on Michael Porter, but I thought it was the right move by Coach Malone, albeit at least one game late if not two. Another thing about Monte Morris in the starting lineup, and I wrote about this actually before as we were ramping up. I don't know how many people read the previews that we did about players coming in, but the Monte Morris-Jamal Murray two, uh, duo has been absolutely fantastic for the Nuggets last season, but they never, almost never played this season. And I thought that was a big mistake because one thing that I think you look at now games one and game four and Jamal Murray goes nuclear, just looks like the best version of himself. One thing that I think both of those games have in common is that Jamal Murray getting to be off ball 
prime as in the initial action, I think is huge. Having a secondary ball handler uh, on the court who sometimes is the primary ball handler, uh, I think is huge for Denver. And when I say ball handler, the NBA has changed so much that even that terminology can be a little bit misleading because Jamal Murray is the primary pick and roll ball handler. Monte Morris gets to be the primary sort of point guard ball handler. And those two things are different. Even if you look at that very first play, and by the way, a lot of the clips I'm going to talk about today go up on DNVR for DNVR members. Um, you can subscribe for $4.99 a month. You get all kinds of crazy stuff. You get a free t-shirt. You get all kinds of stuff. It's so, it's, it's not, $4.99 is ridiculous. Like, honestly, we should raise our prices by double. Um, but if you go on there, you're going to see all the clips that I'm talking about. The very first play of the game for the Nuggets, Monte Morris brings the ball up. They run a little quick initial action, then boom, swing it to the other side of the court. Jamal Murray runs into a, a handoff with Jokic, and we're off and running. I think Millsap finished the p- possession by uh, with a three-pointer off of Murray sort of getting into the paint and then kicking. Murray being able, it's not that you're taking the ball out of his hands, it's that you're taking the sort of wasted part of a possession out of his hands and you're eventually getting to him and I just think it unlocks so much of Murray's game and whether it's Monte going forward or some other player having somebody else that can handle some of those other duties to allow Murray to one, save energy from just bringing it up the court against pressure and all the different things and allow him to sort of run into pick and rolls on a secondary action to me really unlocks his game in a way that's very exciting. Murray has been bottled up a little bit in games two and three he was fully unleashed in this game and it wasn't just the fourth quarter flurry although that was a big part of it he was great in the first quarter in the second quarter in the third quarter this was a great Murray game and in many ways more encouraging to me than even game one because it was so consistent it wasn't just bursts of 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 great play and then of course Grant over Michael Porter Jr it did allow Denver not just the opportunity to have that continuity and trust from the in the roster from behind the you know the, the first guys but I thought it also um allowed Denver to do certain things defensively that I'm going to talk about in here that I don't think you could have done with with Michael Porter in that spot so some of this just also has to do with the versatility of of Jeremy Grant on the defensive end albeit the the Jazz absolutely torched the Nuggets, but I think I I honestly think this defensive performance tonight was actually better than the previous ones. Utah just was absolutely ridiculous. My first note here, Nikola Jokic took 10 three-pointers in this game, and I think it was great, even though he didn't make hardly any of them. He goes 3 of 10. Now, Denver, I I wanted to go back and look before I did this. I just realized that I forgot, but Jokic shot 10 three-pointers. He makes three of them. I would bet that Denver offensive rebounded four, five, maybe six of them. I mean, and this is part of it. When you bring Gobert way out, and then Denver has a size advantage everywhere else on the court besides the um, the center position. That's the only spot where, okay, Gobert's taller and longer than Jokic, more athletic. Everybody else, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, um, you know, you, you, Monte Morris, I guess, and Mike Conley, both little, but even Jamal Murray. You've got size. You've got guys that can rebound. So drawing Gobert out onto the top, being willing to take that shot, opened up the opportunity for Denver to grab rebounds. And what do they get? 17 offensive rebounds in this game. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it had to do with Jokic his willingness to take that shot. Now, Jokic has to become a better three-point shooter. Three of ten, and these were wide-open looks. There weren't many of those shots, if any, that you would say, okay, those are contested threes. He got wide-open looks, and he just missed them in this game. If you look at forward to game five and you say, okay, where are the margins? Where can Denver really improve? To me, Denver was up in this 36-33 to 33 at the end of the first quarter. Jokic, I think, was 0-4 in the first quarter, over 3 or 0-4 from behind the three-point line. 
if he goes, I know it's a tall ask, but you're talking about wide open shots from his favorite spots on the court. If he goes two of three or three of three in those moments, Denver has this game opened up in a way that completely changes how defense guards you. If you have a 10-point, 12-point lead after the first quarter, and you've gotten that because you've allowed Denver's best player to get comfortable with his jump shot, not only does it give Jokic confidence, not only does it give the Nuggets confidence, but it also breaks the Utah defense in a way that when you go when you start the game 0 of 3, 0 of 4, then Utah says, you know what? we're doing the right thing by sort of packing this paint. So in game five, that's one of the huge battlegrounds that I look at and I say, okay, Jokic can absolutely win that battle um, if, he can, if he can knock down those shots. That's one area of sort of progression for Denver. Going to take our first break, though, real quick and tell you about Breckenridge Brewery and especially the Avalanche Amber Ale. It's seasonal. It's about that time. Nice, crisp amber ale, really delicious, malty flavors. Of course, you can go to any of their other ones. Colorado Core, Hot Peak. IPA, Strawberry Sky. You can mix the Hot Peak and the Strawberry Sky and get the RK Special. Many people are calling it the Hot Pink IPA. The Vanilla Porter Jr. Um, you can uh, check them out. What they, Everything that they have at the farmhouse, you can go in for a tasting. You can get dinner, socially distanced, of course. Very responsible. You can get um, this at Costco, King Supers, basically all over the front range. And if you're out of state, don't forget the Breck Brew locator. Find out where they're selling Breck Brew around you. Really great deals um, and really taste it. great tasting beer. You can try out all the different ones they have. Great partner for us. We love drinking them. We love supporting them. I also want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook and the 100 million reasons why you should be listening to this very read. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is celebrating the return of sports by giving away $100 million in prizes to all of their customers, including one lucky winner who will take home a $1 million cash prize. To claim your share up to $100 million in instant giveaways, all you have to do is download the app and sign up using promo code DNVR, then enter DraftKings' free football survivor pool. It's really that easy to claim your share of $100 million in instant giveaways and put yourself in the running for $1 million cash prize, grand prize. Well, the top prize is reserved for just one lucky winner. Everyone who signs up and enters DraftKings free football survivor pool will receive an instant bonus prize of at least $5. Could be a lot more. Um, so right now, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code DNVR and get in on that poll. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. One action that worked for Denver defensively was having Grant and Jokic switch the pick and roll against Gobert and Mitchell. Now, one of the reasons, because, you know, Mitchell's out on, or I'm sorry, Grant is out on Mitchell, and they're trying to go with that that pick and roll and trying to stack the deck, you know, in previous games, okay, we're going to try to put... Um, and even in this game, we're going to try to put uh, Michael Porter Jr. in that action as well uh, as much as they can. And by the way, Michael Porter, I think he's going to be a good defender in his career. I really do. I don't think he's going to be an absolute sieve. Right now, when he is guard, the primary defender, according to NBA.com, 70 points allowed on 63% field goal shooting and 60% three-point field goal percentage for an effective field goal percentage of basically 74.5%. Some of this is just luck. Some of this is just Michael Porter having to learn, you know, little subtle nuances. He falls behind or, or something like this. But, you know, the numbers bear it out. When he's on the court, he's getting torched especially. And I like, I like I said, some of this is bad luck. Some of this is just noise, small sample size, whatever. I feel for the guy because I really do think he's going to be a good defender uh, at some point with his length. It's just not working out right now. And Utah is very comfortable, at least in this moment, attacking him. So it, right now, that's that's you, you kind of look at the numbers 
numbers and you say, okay, that's that's a little bit of a loss for Denver at the moment. Um, but when you can switch that with Jokic and Grant, what it does is it allows Jeremy Grant to roll and rebound with Rudy Gobert, keep him off the offensive glass. And then if Jokic is out there, he's going to get torched. As long as he doesn't foul, I think it's okay. You're forcing Donovan Mitchell into difficult shots, high usage, you stay home, and he's beating Jokic on those plays, but not nearly. I mean, look, everybody's getting beat really bad. And as long as you take everything else away, I think it's all right. I think you can live with it. Denver tried not to do that too often, but especially late in shot clock moments, you know, when they bring up, you know, a lot of times Utah run in action, 10 seconds left on the clock. And then Mitchell will call for like one last pick and roll with Gobert. In those moments, Denver's been able to switch Jokic out onto him. And, you know, it just, at that point, it becomes Donovan Mitchell having to make a hero play, which he's made a lot of those in this series so far. Um, but Denver's starting lineup as a whole got off to a really great start. Another thing they think they found in this um, was uh, Paul Millsap going one-on-one in isolation and really exploiting those size mismatches, and I thought it was great. He had some great plays early in this one. He actually had a good game overall offensively, 6 of 13, 16 points, 4 assists, 7 rebounds. Um, and to me, like we've kind of buried Paul Millsap and, and, and said that you know he just doesn't have it anymore. In this game, I thought Denver did a great job of sort of finding him in, in position to attack, and, and it's part of why Denver was so good offensively in this game. I mean, Denver was good enough offensively to win. They just weren't good enough defensively to win. Um, he was able to collapse the defense, though. I've talked about Rudy Gobert and how he just likes to patrol the paint, where when you play pick and roll, he's allowed to do that. When you use Jokic to space the floor and then Millsap attacks, he has to decide if he's going to fully commit one way or the other. And in this game, at least, he did not commit to helping, and that allowed Paul Millsap to kind of attack the basket and collapse the defense elsewhere. Um, I thought Jokic settled for a few too many mid-range shots in this game. I, I think that he, I'm really happy with him attacking with three-point shot. But a couple of those plays where you ISO him down there on the low block or kind of flat in the, uh, um, you know, inside the corner, basically, I just thought he settled for those shots a little bit much. I think he went one for three or one for four from that zone in the first quarter, and you know, um, you you can be a little bit more aggressive attacking Gobert. You're going to draw some fouls, especially in Game Five when so much has been made about the foul disparity and you know the the final foul on Gobert that didn't get called that might have you know really altered the game. I think that Denver's going to have a luck sort of attacking Gobert, so I'd love to see it. And I thought Jokic settled just a little bit more than I would have liked to, for him in that first quarter. Um, Michael Porter Jr. checked in the game, and Donovan Mitchell attacked him on three straight possessions and it equaled eight points. Um, again, I, some of this is he's not doing anything bad. It's just Utah's not afraid of him. They're very comfortable. It's almost like he gives them confidence on that end, and it's just um, you know they're going to have to find a way to combat that. Jokic played all 12 minutes in the first quarter, and I thought that he made some fatigue errors, errors late in the quarter, um, some plays where it's just like, okay, I think a fully engaged and, and not tired Jokic doesn't make that uh, doesn't make those mistakes. So something to kind of keep an eye on as the series goes on and on. I thought there was great hustle though by Michael Porter Jr. to end the quarter. You know he was a positive in this game. He's one of the few positive nuggets in this one. He was a plus four. In fact, was he the only one? No. Um, what other game was? It? Let's see. Would Troy Daniels get in this game for 14 seconds? How do I not remember that? I guess that that doesn't really count. There's only four seconds. But um, Michael Porter Jr. a plus four. Jamal Murray a plus five. I think Michael Porter, again, so many of the little like hustle things that he does, I think um, are going to start bearing a lot more fruit the more confident he gets. There were some plays in this one where I thought he second-guessed whether he should be crashing the glass, second-guessed whether he should be shooting. I mean, it's just so clear that he doesn't have quite the confidence and experience that he needs, but it, it, I really still fully believe in him and his upside and his talent. I mean, he's a special talent. Um 
he he got a dunk off of the the Michael Porter Jr. special. Um, you know, I, I peel. I believe it's like a, either two up or peel, however you want to call it, where he comes off of that two, um, the two screens right across the free throw line, and then ducks down to the uh, block. He curled it. He settles for the jumper on that a little more than I would like. On this play, you could just tell he was going to get to the basket through hell or high water, and he got the dunk out of it. And uh, I just like it. Um, one thing, and this is definitely a clip that's up on the list. So we talk about everybody getting torched on the Nuggets, not just Michael Porter. Well, there's a difference between, okay, Donovan Mitchell hit an impressive step-back jumper in your face or this or that, and, oh, you blew an assignment, and now everybody is kind of frustrated because you did that. And there's one play that's just so perfectly demonstrates this where Michael Porter Jr. gets lost on, on the off-ball on the weak side. Um, he should be switched out to Conley. You see that um, you can actually physically see – Monte Morris screaming at him to switch he doesn't he goes out and then you see Monte Morris just like throw his hands up and scream like even like out of just pure frustration Mike Conley catches it finally Michael Porter Jr. runs out at him but then fouls and you see everybody on the Nuggets roster Jokic Murray Monte Morris all kind of throw their hands up in frustration and I think those are the plays especially the fouling I think if Michael Porter if you just cut out in this game specifically the plays in which he fouled the, the person that's driving um, you just cut those plays plays out I actually think his defense looks okay relative to everybody else on the Nuggets roster it's the being sharp not not being a half second or a full second behind on those rotations so that you're in position to foul that I think are gonna that's that, that's why I think he's gonna be a good defender guys have made tough shots over him and he's missed so many reads and assignments but that just comes with playing time which again that's not something you can handle at this very moment I still think he clearly has a role in the series. It's the one that he played in this game. Hopefully he can even make more shots and be and be, continue to get more and more involved. But defensively, it's just going to be tough. He's just going to have to try to limit the errors and the mistakes. The second quarter to me was about two things. One was Denver's fouling. Denver got put Utah in the bonus with six minutes left to go. And, and some of these were tough calls, but some of it's just like, hey, you can't put them in the bonus early, especially on off-ball stuff that, you know, half court, you get a bump on a guy. And it's like, hey, they weren't even in scoring position. You can pick up a foul later on in the period. That, that adds up. Utah got 12 free throws in this period alone. Denver had 13 for the game. So you just take out those. I think they go 11 for 12 in the period. You take that out. Denver wins. Denver's up big going into the half, not just up one. Um, but, of course, those early fouls, early in that second quarter really came back to bite him later on in the quarter the other thing that killed him was Jordan Clarkson who's just absolutely on fire I don't know if Clarkson is going to continue to be on fire kind of reminds you almost of a, of a Rodney Hood he's a good scorer some of the shots he hit in that second quarter and really throughout the entire game were so absurd um, he had one point so Denver's up 43 to 35 they have some momentum going they had outplayed Utah all uh, entirely from end to end uh, at that point, Clarkson goes on his own mini seven-point scoring binge over three possessions, a three and two twos, and it's just like, man, boom, that, that lead evaporated so quickly right as Denver was about to extend this into a double-digit lead. So those little pivot points and just finding a way to better contest. One of, these, one of the plays, by the way, in this quarter was Torrey Craig isolation up against Jordan Clarkson. Well, isn't that what you want? Your defensive stopper up against their sort of gunner. That Tory Craig is is made to stop Jordan Clarkson, and he just didn't have it in this game. In that, especially in that second quarter. 
Jamal Murray, I thought, has really improved on the defensive end. I've been impressed with him. Again, it's, it's crazy to say that I'm impressed with anybody on Denver's defense, as bad as they were. But, you know, I remember when Murray was a complete liability on that end. And I remember when he was like Michael Porter Jr. and just completely missing assignments. I don't think that's the case here. There's still certain things he doesn't do well. Um, his foot speed is still not the best. But he's clearly reading the court as a defender much better than he was as recently as last season. Um, take that for what you will in a game in which Denver gave up so many points. Um, Paul Millsap continued in the second quarter where he picked, left off in the first quarter scoring against that second unit and it really just changes things I mean that's if you look for one area of regression that could be it but it also might be something that Denver sort of found um, I think Millsap especially if he is I mean not not washed if he still has something in him he should be able to take the guys that they're throwing at him he's just so much bigger stronger and uh, a crafty one-on-one -on -one scorer um, here's the series to me and you and and the question is why is this happening? Because the numbers are so absurd. Donovan Mitchell in the regular season. But Michael Malone talked about this, by the way, in his press conference today. Donovan Mitchell in the uh, regular season shooting thirty two percent on pull up three point shots, thirty two percent on four point one attempts. Which, by the way, thirty two percent not that much below average for pull up three point shooters. Unless you're a Steph Curry or a Damian Lillard or a Kemba Walker, you know the elite guys. You don't hit those number at a high volume. 36, 37% is enough for the defense to have to really guard you um, and be afraid of you. He was shooting 32% and taking four game. In the playoffs, he's shooting 55, over 55% and taking over seven a game. So he's almost shooting twice the percentage and he's taking almost twice the number of attempts. If you look at the Utah Jazz as a whole, those num those same numbers bear out. Obviously, they're going to bear out because he is, you know, Donovan Mitchell's the one taking so many of them, so he's going to like sort of rise all of their numbers. But if you look at Utah as a whole, their numbers have risen uh, at, from from there. And you look at Jordan Clarkson in this game; he hits a couple pull up threes that were contested, and you just think, man, does this guy really make these like at this same clip in the regular season? So the question becomes: Is it because of the bubble? And you know, there's no crowd it's like a, it's like a practice you know everybody shoots better in practice and with low pressure is it just noise we're only on a four game sample size so you know Donovan Mitchell could go 0 for 6 0 for 7 uh, in this next game and those numbers kind of plummet or is it that Denver's defense just doesn't intimidate anybody? I think it's a fact, a little bit of all three, including that last one. You know, Utah's very comfortable right now, emotionally, physically, all of those things. And I wonder if, you know, I wonder if Denver can do something to put them on their heels if that's going to regress a little bit. If you look at a silver lining, and again, you're down three to one, your, your back's against the wall, you're going to need, I think, heroic performances from some of your key players. But if you can get game five, if you can put pressure on them in game six, can Utah fall back on, oh, hey, we're just going to shoot 55% from pull-up three-point shooters? I don't know. At some point, the further you go in this, I think the more Utah gets a little bit of pressure and a little, and those shots become a little bit more uneven right now. But 55%, I don't care who you are. If you're trying to guard a team, no, how good your defense is, if you're trying to guard a team and they're shooting 55% on pull-up three-pointers, you're probably going to have a really bad defensive efficiency. So that's what that's one of the things that's happening to Denver in the series. And again, the question is, are they shooting well because Denver's defense is so unintimidating? Or um, is Denver's defense falling apart because they're shooting so well? There's a little bit of chicken and egg there, although I do suspect some of this, at least a lot of this probably has to do with Denver just hasn't made them feel them yet. They talked about that today. Paul Millsap, Michael Malone, 
all talked about a strategy to sort of like you know a, a new something new they want to throw at Utah in Game Five. Really curious to see what that is and if they can manage to sort of put them on their heels so that that number reduces. Um, Jokic continued to miss threes in the second quarter. Again, he didn't really get going from three really in this whole game, but not until the fourth quarter where I think he hits two of them. But if he can just knock some of those down, it's going to change the entire complexion of this. And then. We talked about finishing out quarters, these little runs. We talk about basketball as a game of runs. Denver, I thought, throughout the whole first half, slowly built leads. And then Utah, throughout the first half, had two runs where they closed it. Both of them, um, uh, well, actually the first one by Jordan Clarkson, that 7-0 run that he had individually. But this last one, you're up, you're up um, Nuggets up six with 35 seconds left. 35 seconds, you have to think, okay, Conley's bringing the ball up the court. There's 35 seconds left. This is a clear two-for-one opportunity. They're going to try to go quickly. You just have to have game recognition. Monte Morris plays a little bit too far off of Mike Conley, and he runs into a pull-up three. Now, again, he drains it. That's part of this 55%. It's still a like full sprint up the court pull-up for three. But if I am Monte Morris, especially in that moment – I maybe force Conley inside a little bit more. Maybe he drives, gets met by somebody at the you know at the rim, and it ends up wasting too much time, and they don't get the two for one. Maybe he ends up running into something. But when you let him sort of like you know sprint up and then pop into a three pointer, that's that's the exact look you have to anticipate, and that's the look you have to take away, in my opinion. So they give that up. You're up six now. You're only up three. Then Denver goes down uses up the whole clock, takes a shot. Mitchell grabs it. There's like five seconds left, and he goes coast to coast. Nobody gets in front of him. Nobody stops him, and he gets a layup. So <laughs> you go from up six with 35 seconds left to up one into the half, and now Utah gets to feel good about themselves. And to me, that was they, – they've been doing this the entire series. It's Yes, Utah has been hitting incredibly from, from the three-point line on these pull-up shots. They've absolutely torched Denver, and they've really figured them out in the pick-and-roll and have been able to get comfortable shots. They are going to have a good offense no matter what. But if you can just erase those those plays, the ones where you say, hey, situational awareness here, don't, you know, don't screw up the little things, Utah could have a 120 offensive rating in this series or in this game, and Denver still wins. 120, by the way, is like absurd. It would be number one in the NBA. But when you give up a 135, 136, 137 offensive rating, that's when you really take a hit. And the, the margin between that 120 and 135 is these plays. Donovan Mitchell going coast to coast. He was the deepest guy back. He grabbed the rebound, so he's the, the deepest guy back, and he passes all 10 guys basically to get to the rim to end the quarter. And it's just absolutely brutal way to close out. Going to take a break, tell you about MSU Denver Online, the school that puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members at DMVR have taken MSU Denver Online classes this summer. Uh, a lot of cool stuff you can do there. Learn to, their, their motto there, their mantra is learn to lead the change. MSU Denver services Denver and is a steward of the co- community. They believe in value without compromise. Excellent education at a great value. Professors who care about you, including Dr. Travis Heath, and formats that fit your life. Taking gap year, plans change. Our mission never does. Use your gap year to maximize your skill. Check out MSU Denver online uh, and, and really see everything that they have to offer. Also want to remind you about the Colorado Raptors, our own Colton Strickler. 
really covering everything that's going on in the world of professional rugby here in the U.S. A lot of changes, a lot of things going on. DNVR is now covering all things rugby in Colorado, not just the Raptors, and all things in the United States. He's keeping you up to date on all things American rugby with the DNVR Rugby Podcast, and you can find his written rugby content right on our site with the rest of our coverage. And it was just announced that Infinity Park, I didn't know this, in Glendale, Infinity Park, one of the only um, professional rugby stadiums in all of, uh, of the United States, it'll now be the official training center for the men's and women's USA Eagles 15s team. That means that Colorado is the place to be for rugby in the United States. I bet a lot of people didn't know that, but it's true. Make sure you are keeping up to speed with us and Colton on the DNVR Rugby Podcast. Support this, the sport of rugby by following along with the latest news on Twitter at DNVR Rugby. Coming out of the half, Denver ran a great first play to get Jamal Murray a three. And again, this is part of where having Monte Morris on the court really helps Jamal. You don't see Jamal running off of screens very often into catch-and-shoot opportunities. And when you have another point guard, they didn't really run the action, I don't think, through Jamal Murray. or I mean, I'm sorry, through Monte Morris. But nonetheless, you have a release. So if you run Jamal Murray through a screen and it's not there, okay, go to the backside now and let's get a pick-and-roll with Monte and, and Jokic and you have something there. So just by virtue of sort of taking him off, you start seeing Murray in actions you don't always see him and I think that's really big for Denver um, Utah put Millsap in more pick and roll option um, in that second half and they got him switched down to Mike Conley I, I think that's something that you can kind of expect going forward for them to do um, just looking maybe to target him a, a little bit differently they have um, you know I, I Millsap I think can adjust the one thing that he did in the specific play I'm talking about against Mike Conley and this is actually a recurring thing for Denver as a whole you got to keep Mike Conley out of the paint, out of the middle, especially on these side pick and roll. So you can imagine now attacking left to right, you you have uh, Conley going to the left baseline, and he gets in, and Paul Millsap switches out onto him. If you can keep him on the left side of the court, all of your help gets to come from the weak side. You got four players overloaded there. You can kind of crowd things. He gives sort of a little you know, crossover, gets Millsap off balance, and then gets back into the middle of the paint. And now Jokic is the guy who has to step up on him. He's just in no man's land. He has to either step up into the paint and completely get exposed for Gobert for a dunk, uh, or he stays back and Conley gets a little floater. And I don't even remember which one he got there because it happened a few different times, but he got all options. Millsap, whoever it is on the court, Michael Porter, doesn't matter. If you get that Conley switch and you're out on the islands, keep him, uh, shrink the court, keep him from reversing the ball and getting into the middle, even if it means him sprinting at the sideline and getting one of those scoop layups. To me, it's going to be a better option than letting him into the paint where everything is collapsed. I mean, again, so much of this is talking about What's the best of the worst options? What can you take away and uh, that at least reduces their percentages by 5%, 10%? You still might be giving up a good shot, but is it at least less efficient shot than if you get the middle and you're giving up a dunk, you're giving up a, a, a layup, or you're giving up a kickout three? That's the thing. So keep them outside. And by the way, that clip up on the list uh, on DNVR. I didn't. So there was a really interesting play or sequence that happened in the third quarter. Now, Utah has dominated the third quarter in, in the series, every single game. One thing that I think – there's one sequence that I thought really sort of defined it. Look, Jamal Murray was the uh, uh, the, the king of the game, the, the DraftKings king of the game. He was fantastic. So any criticism on him, like, I mean, this, if anybody should escape it, it's him. But there's one sequence here that I thought was really interesting. Jeremy Grant, the game's tied 77-77. Um, Jeremy Grant takes a quick three on a handoff from Jokic that was probably three feet behind the three-point line, and it was – 
first like first pass inside the half court. So there's, I don't know, 16 seconds left on the clock. He takes this deep three and he misses. And it's one of those shots where you go, man, if it goes in, okay, but that that's really not work it around. Make Utah work. Utah had basically jogged back on defense, sat there, and Jeremy Grant launches the three, and it's like, oh sweet, now we're back on offense. Um, then you come down, Jamal Murray and Jokic run a nice two-man game. Murray makes a great little freeze dribble and scores. Then the next time they come down, Jamal Murray shoots a logo three. I mean, it's like a, a 35, 40-foot foot three-point shot. You guys all remember the play, and he misses it. Now, Jamal Murray was – it was a heat check. He was he was playing good basketball, and I don't mind that shot, especially next year. You know, I hope that Jamal Murray continues to improve his three-point percentage, and especially if you can take him off ball, maybe that's going to happen more. But that shot in that moment – and those two shots sort of back-to-back, that really took, I thought, Denver out of their flow, and it allowed Utah to get fast-break options. What happened on the other end, and this I have this play up on the list, but I cut it off before the you know before the ensuing possession from Utah. What happens was you, Murray takes that shot, long rebound, Conley gets it, and he walks up. Now he's, there's a mismatch, and he pulls up from three. So not only do you miss the three and the opportunity to make Utah have to work on defense, but you give them a very good opportunity to score on the other end, and it really becomes you know a five or six six-point swing. Denver punts their possession. Utah gets a wide-open, easy mismatch three-pointer on the other possession, and it hurt. But, but, so you go from 77 to 77 to 87-81 in about two minutes, and to me, it had so much to do with those two possessions that took Denver out of rhythm and allowed Utah to get transition opportunities. And Denver, you know, again, Murray was so good in this game, it's hard to criticize him, but him and Grant taking those two early shot clock shots that you can get any time just felt like a little bit of a, a hero, a little, as, as George Carl says, a little thirsty, and I thought that that was a really big moment. Um. So Porter would be fine, like I said, if he just wouldn't foul. Donovan Mitchell, when he gets mix-matched out onto him, he is trying, number one, more than anything else, he is trying to get Michael Porter Jr. to foul him. Porter has to realize he's six foot ten, athletic, and, and really tall. He doesn't need to block Donovan Mitchell's shot. In fact, he's not going to. Um, contest him. Get the hand up on the step-back three, and then everything else, just play with your hands high, keep him in front of you, don't foul, and make him shoot mid-range pull-up jumpers over your outstretched hands that are not in any way about to foul him. Donovan Mitchell, I mean, if you go back and look at the tape, Mitchell has made some really tough floaters. He's made that foul-line jumper, but that's not what kills you. What kills you are the free throws, the three-pointers, the pull-up three-pointers, which again, I mean, he's going to make them. It's going to be tough for Denver to stop him anyway, but he's the pull-up three-pointers, the free throws, and the time he gets to the rim Michael Porter should be able to keep him in front and just force him into the mid-range if he makes 20 points off of mid-range shots off of that I still think Denver's going to win because those are such hard work for him and it cuts everything else off I think more than anything that's the thing Porter can adjust in his game going forward and if he can just get that right I really think that everything else for him is going to fall into place but right now they're hunting him and they're getting exactly what they want out of it um the Nuggets are just having a lot more success getting the Jokic-Murray pick-and-roll going onto the side, and this has been true, I think, for a couple games now, um, but especially in this one, driving to the side of the of the court, Murray has just done a great job of sort of reading Gobert in that pick-and-roll when he's attacking along the sideline and then the baseline. Um Mitchell was is just on fire right now. I was talking about how they're giving him the easy ones. If you can just cut out the easy ones, the fouls, and, and some of that other stuff, I think Denver is going to be able to slow him a little bit. And then also keeping him off his right hand, um, There's Monte Morris gave and Torrey Craig both have been giving him that right hand to the basket. And those that's an example of can, can he beat you with those spin moves into the lane with floaters? Yes. But – 
I just know he's going to beat you by getting to the foul line and getting all the way to the hoop going right. So if you just take that away and sit on it, you really have a better chance of stopping him. And of course, on the list, I have examples of both. And just you can just kind of see like, okay, yeah, he can make some of these ones going to his left or spinning to his left, but he's always going to make the ones when you allow him to get around you to the right. Jokic as well in the pick and roll. There's been a few times where Donovan has beat him around and gotten around him going right. And it's just one of those things where try, try not to allow that to happen. The clear path foul was so um, brutal. It was just—it's a little bit of bad luck, and this is why like you can't punt games early in a series because sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. I thought Jeremy Grant made a really bad decision to try to drive split, basically split between Conley and uh, Donovan Mitchell. Conley made a great defensive play and poked the ball away. Ball's loose. It's bouncing around. Bounces to half court. Mitchell picks it up right in time for Millsap to foul him, and it was a clear path foul. It's just one of those bang bang plays that. You know, I don't blame Millsap for it, but it, 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 you know, when you watch in slow motion, you're like, yeah, of course that's a clear path foul. That's just bad luck with the way the ball kind of bounced on that one. But again, this is also about a team knowing who they are. Jeremy Grant driving on those guys in that moment. It's fourth quarter, it's a close game. I think four minutes left. That's not your role. Um, you got to be a little bit more patient, a little bit more wise in those moments. And unfortunately, Denver didn't have it in that moment. Jamal Murray going nuclear in the fourth is just awesome. I mean. Games one and games four are just so encouraging from him, um, and I'm hopeful that I don't know that he's always going to have 50 points in the playoffs or or be able to shoot at the level that he did. But some of the shots that he's able to get, especially off ball, I'm just really encouraged by. I think that's something Denver can build off of, and I'm curious to see if he's able to get more of that going forward, especially playing alongside Monte Morris. Um, and then again, late in the late in the clock, late in the game, Denver had switched Jokic and Grant, so Jokic is out on Mitchell, and they did a good job. If you actually go back and watch some of those possessions, Jokic actually got stops on Donovan Mitchell. Now, some of these were late shot clocks. There's one a step back Mitchell shot up. A rainbow on it. It almost went in. I mean, it almost like if he would have hit that one. I mean, it's just you just have to go home. But I do think there's something too that Mitchell or that Jokic Grant switching the Mitchell Gobert thing that makes things just a little bit harder. You wouldn't guess it, but it just makes things a little bit harder. So if you so to wrap up here, there's some really encouraging things that come out of this. Both again from Denver as a team, like Utah's just shooting the leather off of the ball. Denver needs, I think, you, you kind of look at this game and how it went, and you think, okay, Denver is right there. The margins are thin. There's things Denver can certainly do a lot better, and there's some, some things they really found out. I wish these adjustments came when Denver was tied 1-1, not when they were down 2-1, because this was a 50-50 game to me, and it just went Utah's way. They were due. Denver and Utah played seven times now. Denver is 4-3, and three, and I think three or four of those games that um, – that Denver won previously were all 50-50 games. So Denver was due for the ball to bounce in Utah's way in this one, and they have just played so well. Clarkson, Gobert, uh, Mitchell, all play have played so well in the series that, you know, in, in a lot of ways you have to tip your hat and say they earned it. They earned the sort of the ball bouncing their way this in, in this game. But I do think you walk away if you're Denver saying, okay, Denver has regrouped, figured some things out. Is it too late? Probably. But at least I have some confidence going into this next game that, okay, Denver has some ideas on how to attack them. And I think their defensive scheme, some of it has worked. So, uh, you, you know, some of it I think you say, okay, tip your hat if they make those and, they're, and, and they've hit them. So now you go into game five and say, what little adjustments can you make defensively to try to make them feel you? Maybe to knock them off of their game so they're not shooting 50% from three in the series and 55% on pull-up threes. You try to knock them off of that. And then offensively, I just think you have confidence that you have solved at least some of this so that you can attack them a little bit better. So Things are dire on rewatch. Of course, it's dire. The the, the three one it, it doesn't look good. Very few teams come back, but 
as the team has said, you take things one game at a time. Today in this press conference, Michael Malone and Paul Millsap both referenced that the team hasn't given up. The team still uh, you know, is approaching this as if they want to win the series, which is one of the things you want to know. Coming out in Game 5, do they just roll over and say, we're in this bubble, we're in this hellhole, do we just get out of here? Or do you fight back and try to make this go to Game 6 and then after Game 6 try to make it to go to Game 7 and just claw your way back? As disappointed as I was in Denver in Games 2 and 3, Seeing if they can come out and fight, and if they put up that fight, I think will go a long way to sort of restoring faith in their competitive spirit. So, interesting game, fun one, and uh, can't wait to see what happens in Game 5. I'm, I was I was not looking forward to Game 5, I think, 18 hours ago. I'm back. I'm back and ready for Game 5 and excited to see what the Denver Nuggets have uh, and see what they bring. I think what the Nuggets need in that game is a Jokic game, and I think specifically they need him to knock down those three-pointers because he's going to get them. He does that. I do think it changes the complexion of that game, and if he can sustain it over four quarters, it might even change the the complexion of the entire series. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. We're going to talk to you tomorrow. We'll see you then. Wrapping things up today, guys, I want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood. They're the best damn family-owned dentists in the metro, and they're extreme Colorado sports fans, just like you, just like me, just like all of us. Um, They send you a personal card to your home after becoming a new patient. They're just really personable. It's like I said, it's a family-owned business. You're going to get that family touch, not that corporate, you know, um, voice voice message machine where it's just like you're not even talking to a person. You know, you don't know. No, they're going to be a personal touch. You're going to know them by name, schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam and you'll receive a free sonicare toothbrush and tweet at us if you go there tag us let them let us know um and let us know how awesome the sonicare electric toothbrush is i know a lot of you guys are listening to this maybe you're in your 20s uh, maybe your 30s and maybe you haven't always taken great care of your health i can tell you now 36 years old over the last five, five, six, seven years, I've really taken my my like oral hygiene seriously. Gone to the dentist. You never was a big dentist guy. Started going. Now I go like every, not even every six months, like every four or five months. And I'm telling you, we'll never go back. I'm, I'm a dentist guy now. Love going to the dentist. Used to fear it. Now I love going to it. Check them out. Green Mountain Dental Group. They're a part, proud partner and longtime partner of DNVR. They show us some love. Let's show them some love.